that is definitely something that I think we all toy with at some point in our lives. Like, are are we able to do this? Are we capable? Are we, do we have what it takes to be that person that can do that? And I think sometimes we get stuck in the graveling instead of stuck in the going for it. And so that's just really kind of how I I took that leap of faith going, I'm going to see what I'm made of. I'm going to see if I'm capable of this. I'm going to give it my best shot and just show up. <laughs> This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 307, with guest Nicole Whiting. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. So hey, we are staring down the barrel at the end of not only the year, but the decade. I'm going to go ahead and assume that this isn't the first time you're realizing that. And well, if you are, surprise, a decade's ending. We're starting a new decade soon. It's really hitting me hard, and it could be a whole lot of reasons. I think one of those reasons is I've been thinking a lot about where I was in 2010. Where were you in 2010? Who were you with? What were you doing in terms of your job? What was going on in your life? What were you hoping to accomplish in the decade? And that's where I'm at, just really thinking about where I was at in 2010 just a quick snapshot of that. I had two little babies. I had a brand new business and a lot of hopes and dreams. (laughs) And here we are in 2019. A lot has happened between then and now, and I'm sure it has for you too. Stay tuned for a future episode, not in the far future, and some emails that are coming out. We're going to talk about this more. We're going to have some worksheets. We're going to take some inventory. We're going to make some goals for the next year and the next decade. I'm really excited and pumped for it. If you don't get my emails, super easy to sign up for that. If you don't get my emails, well, first of all, my condolences because they're really good. If I do say so myself, we send about three a month that are motivating, inspiring, quick story, those types of things. And then, of course, you get notifications about the podcast. But you can simply text the word kick-ass, make it all one word, to 444-999 to sign up to get those. And one of the reasons being is that I want you to be in on this. I want you to be in on what we are going to be getting down on in December. Also, new website coming. I know I told you guys like a hundred years ago that it was coming. We ran into some snafus. It's been a while, but much anticipated. It's coming within the next month or so, and I am very excited about that. It's so beautiful. It's so much more grown up, I'm going to say. Your Kick-Ass Life is definitely maturing, and this site is making that very clear. And sort of switching gears, I think the only thing I want to leave you with before we jump into the episode, a conversation with my friend Nicole, is that, okay, I feel like I don't ask a whole lot of you. (laughs) And no, I'm not asking you to buy anything. I'm not. But I am hoping that you listening will do something for me. I am finally done with my book proposal for my third book, which I still haven't told you the name of. 
but it's coming soon. I, I really don't like telling people the name until I sign on the dotted line and the publisher that I'm going to work with has said, yes, this is going to be the title of the book because I think it would just be sort of heartbreaking if I was like, it's going to be named this. And then I'm like, just kidding. It's going to be named that. So title coming soon. And okay. So the proposal's going out this week. If you listen to the podcast the week that this drops, I'm recording this on the 11th, on 11-11. This is going to be coming out to you on the 13th of November. So this week, my proposal is going out to publishers. And that's really all I can tell you. I am asking you to hold in your hearts, to hold in your mind that this proposal, that this book, that this project, this collection of many, 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 many words gets put into the right hands at this time of the game. So in other words, that it gets chosen by the perfect publisher who will understand my vision for this book, who will understand my vision of you, all of my listeners, and who will just really love, love, love the message that I am bringing to all of you. And also who will help me because it takes a village. <laughs> it really does. It's not just me. I am sort of the guide and it really takes a fantastic editor that gets me and that can handle my energy and sometimes my drama for this project. And so I'm asking you, and I might get emotional, but I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm asking you to just hold that in your hearts for me as the emails start getting sent out, as the phone calls start happening from my literary agent to these publishers. This is my third time doing this. And although it's not my first rodeo, for some reason, this one means something different to me. It's hard to explain. The messaging is slightly different. I've talked to you about it before in previous episodes. I'm like wringing my hands over here, partly because it's nerve-wracking and partly because I feel like I'm asking you something really vulnerable to do for me is to um, is to just hold this in your hearts this week as it goes out. And I know Elizabeth Gilbert tells us, don't be so precious about your work. Don't <laughs> hold it in that much of a high regard. And like, let me tell you, like, I'm good. If I mean, if this thing crashed and burned, I would be enormously heartbroken. And I am also enormously resilient. I have the most amazing friends and support system. But Elizabeth Gilbert, I'm still working on it. This whole like, don't be so precious about it and all of that stuff. So I'm being precious about it, at least this week, at least in this moment. I still sort of have this delusional confidence that it's going to be great. Like, how could it not? Like, how could it not? That's the same kind of delusional confidence I had in 2010 when I set your kick-ass life free. And that's just where I stood. Like, how could this not be amazing? <laughs> and it was. And here we are almost 10 years later. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for those of you who are driving, working out. Some of you are in the shower, which I think is amazing. Someone messaged me on Instagram and was like, I love listening to your podcast. I listen every week in the shower. I was like, awesome. <laughs> thank you for letting me shower with you. All of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And this is a perfect segue to today's guest. I met Nicole 
earlier this year in January, and we are at a mastermind together. And this woman has just, I mean, she's kind of stolen my heart. I love her for so many reasons. Many of them you are going to hear today. Part of it is is her story and the way that she helps women. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Nicole Whiting is a life pacer who turned to running during a time of tremendous hardship. Instead of retreating and playing the victim, Nicole picked something extraordinary to help her process and move the difficulties through her body. Now an ultra runner and life coach, Nicole meets women where they are and gets them across the finish line. She teaches how to stop making life a series of transactions and start building one based on experiences that define you and remind you of who you are at your core. And y'all, please don't let the ultra runner thing scare you. That's really the least of the conversation. Uh, I mean, as I say in the episode, you wouldn't look at Nicole and be like, that woman is an ultra elite athlete. And she's she's just incredible. She's an incredible human. And I knew I had to have her on the show to talk about her story and to talk about what she does with women. All right. So without further ado, here is Nicole. Nicole, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. And I actually had you scheduled later and I was like, "No, I need to have you on sooner." Be part of part of the reason was because I wanted to get you fresh to talk about the journey you just went on. So, I hope those memories well, are I'm fresh excited. for you and you're willing to talk about it. <laughs> oh, they're totally fresh. <laughs> okay, well, I don't I don't want to jump into that too soon. Well, I want to sort of like for people that don't know you, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know you over this whole year and now can call you a dear friend of mine. I want to start from the very beginning because I think when people hear about long distance, like ultra marathons, I have a very clear picture of the kind of woman that is an ultra marathoner. And I'm using like quotes and capital U, capital M. So like, let's start from the very beginning. Were you always a runner? Did you ever have a dream of being an ultra marathoner? Like, tell us about that. So I have, I picked up running probably it was in late junior high, early high school years. And I started running to spend more time with my dad. My dad was the wrestling coach at our, um, in my school. And my brother was a big wrestler, um, very successful wrestler in our community. And, um, so they had that really intimate bond over that. And I was really, I think looking for something to bond with my dad over. And so that's really when I started picking up running because he was a marathon runner and most of my childhood, I watched him chasing down the Boston dream. And so he, I don't know how many marathons he's ran, but um, he, him and I ran in 2003, our very first marathon together. And so that's really when I picked up running. And then it's just something that really kind of became who I was. Um, it was part of me. And so I've been running ever since. But as for the ultra world, I actually wasn't really fully aware that all of these ultra races took place. Um, and an ultra, in case anybody doesn't know, is anything over the distance of a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. Most of the time, ultras are like 50Ks, 50 milers, 100K, 
hundred plus miles. So, um, they can be pretty steep in the mileage. Um, but it wasn't until I did an Ironman a few years ago and my running coach for the Ironman was an ultra runner. And so she told me all of these amazing stories about her life experiences in the ultra world. And I was like, oh, I got, I think that's me. I got to get in here. I got to at least dip my toes in it and see if I like it. And from the first one I did, I've been, I've been, I've been stuck and I will be doing this for years and years. So. Okay. Well, and I think the story is also interesting about how and why you decided to do an Ironman because I have one other friend that's done one and I have several friends that have done half, um, half Iron mm-hmm. Ironmans. They need to just change the name because it's annoying. But can you tell everyone the distances that that is and then the, and then how you the, the day you decided that that's what you were going to do and train for? Yeah, absolutely. So in an Ironman, um, you swim 2.4 miles, you bike 112, and then you run 26.2 in that order consecutively. And you typically have row. like 17 Not hours like you do one in a row. Day. <laughs> no. And then you do the, All one the day. bike the next All one day. day. Yep. <laughs> yep. All one day as fast as you can. <laughs> And still try to enjoy yourself. Right. Yeah. No, it's all yes. it's all one event. And like I said, typically they give you 17 hours to get an official finish time. Um, but it's interesting. So I started, I had never been a triathlete. I didn't even really know how to swim. And I mean, I could keep myself afloat, but I didn't like actually know how to swim. Um, when I decided to do Ironman, I had maybe ridden my bike like 10 times in like the last decade. (laughs) And what brought me to that point, (laughs) right. What brought me to that point was, um, we had adopted our daughter through the foster system and we definitely had some behavioral developmental issues. And in my journey of trying to navigate all of that, I found a school that I could take her to that could really kind of meet her needs, but it was two hours away. So we decided to go all in and for almost two years, we drove her or I drove her two hours to school and then she would stay there for eight hours and then we would drive two hours home. And um, the school was near um, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And in Coeur d'Alene, they had an Ironman race. So there's a big triathlon community there. And I had always kind of had this pipe dream. We had a friend... Um, that had done two Ironmans and he kind of told me all about it. And I was like, gosh, if he can do it, I'm sure I can. So me Mm -hmm. not really knowing how to swim, like not really being like an avid bike rider and not really like had approached the marathon distance for (laughs) quite some time was like, oh, sure. I'll do that. Like, let's just jump in, (laughs) jump into the deep end. And so I blows my mind because it's not, yeah, because it's, it's one thing for someone who's like an avid marathoner or a cyclist to talk to someone who's done an Ironman and say like, well, if he can do it, I can too. But you weren't really – like you'd done marathons, but it had been a long time. Oh, no. I was definitely out of my league and I was like all in. Okay. <laughs> this sounds fun. Well, and see, this is the part that fascinates me. Like- <laughs> <sighs> But I think that there's there's it's not just like you were like I think I'm going to check this off their box off the box like this was there was more there was more underneath am I right Yeah I think that this was the first time in my life um I had the time I was I was like what am I going to do with my time when I'm up here 
Um, I had to, you know, basically navigate my businesses at home so they could run without me. And so I had this available time. And I mean, I think it was also at this time in my life where it was a big transition for me. Um, I was trying to figure out who I was. I was trying to figure out like what I wanted to do with my life. I was quite honestly, probably in a pretty, I don't know, un unhappy time in my life, kind of in the trenches. And I felt Mm. like this was a time that I could settle in and really process my life up to that point and try to go from survival mode to like thriving mode. And I thought that this might be the thing that, that could get me there. Mm-hmm. Okay. That part, that I find fascinating because I mean, for people who've never, who've never like been in the saddle in the bike for an hour and a half or swam laps for that long as well, you have a lot of time to be with your own thoughts and to be with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort through things. Yeah. And also and at the same time, see what you're made of in terms of your physical endurance and your strength. Like what we're capable of, right? And I think especially as women, sometimes we 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 doubt what we're capable of. We're not sure, right? For instance, many times people have been like at Ironman events, like assuming that I'm there for my husband, right? <laughs> no, it's me. It's oh. me the one that's doing it. But I think that that is definitely something that I think we all toy with at some point in our lives. Like, are are we able to do this? Are we capable? Are we, do we have what it takes to be that person that can do that? And I think sometimes we get stuck in the graveling instead of stuck in the going for it. And so that's just really kind of how I, I took that leap of faith going, I'm going to see what I'm made of. I'm going to see if I'm capable of this. I'm going to give it my best shot and just show up. And I think that was one of the big lessons for me was like just showing up, like, by just showing up unknown of what that looks like can be a game changer in itself. So you wrote a blog post where you talked about, and this might've been the same time that you were talking about, or maybe it was a different time in your life where life had become transactional for you and you started to live life Mm -hmm. apologetically, as you put it, and then things started to shift. So what does living life unapologetically mean to you personally? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, and I think that is something that like you have to, or I should say, I navigate daily. Like what does it look like? What what living apologetically is making decisions and living in a way that I can feel proud at the end of every day, that I can go to bed and say, you know what? I did my best today. I think there was a lot of time, well, most of my life up and until my early 30s, really up until I decided to do this Ironman, I was living very transactionally. It was really about um, if I did this, what would happen? Or if I did this, this would happen. Like it was one thing for another, right? And most of my life up until that point, it was saying yes to people and saying no to myself, And I think Mm -hmm. after living that way for 20 plus years, um, from about the age of 13, I really kind of got sick of my own bullshit because I was living out everybody else's life that they wanted that was convenient for them. And I was like dishonoring who I was meant to be. And so when I kind of had that awakening, it was just like, I deserve to go after the things that I want. I deserve to take up space in this world. I deserve to like have the things that matter to me really matter despite whether somebody else sees value in them. And that was a really big shift for me. And that's kind of how I became 
unapologetic. And, you know, sometimes I slip back into being this yes person, this people pleaser person, and I have to really consciously go, but that's not how I'm going to be anymore, right? Like you have to keep giving yourself those reminders. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to dishonor myself anymore. I'm going to honor who I am. Well, I like that you also mentioned that you slip backwards sometimes and you and you have to live your life with grace in those moments. And because this is what I hear a lot of times from mm-hmm. my audience is they they say, I've already worked on this and I know all of the tools and I'm, and I'm not doing mm-hmm. it. And I'm over here saying like, hey, me too. I still fall back on my old habits or even pick up new ones <laughs> along the way. But it's, it's just about, you, you said the best word in that and that is that is being conscious of it and just consciously deciding and saying to yourself, I am not going to do this anymore and, and starting over again and using your tools. And, and you also mentioned, and I, and I think that I, the reason I, I love your story so much and I, and I would like you to be specific about it is because I think that so many people have been through some kind of like life altering event in their older years, you know, whether it's, um, with a child that they had or struggled with infertility or struggled being single throughout their thirties and forties and and watching all their friends get married, et cetera. And, you know, you mentioned the, the struggle that your family went through with adopting in the foster care system and the the challenges that were thrown at you for Mm -hmm. many years. And still sometimes that you're challenged with now. And then you mentioned that, you know, you started doing mm-hmm. that since you were 13. Would you mind sharing the story of, of the, the trauma that you faced when you were 13 and how that shaped you? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, because it is probably the most, like when you look back in life, like I think we can all think about those times where like we knew that like going into something, we were one person and coming out of something, we were a different person. Um, right. And this was definitely like the earliest earliest member memory that I have of that kind of experience in my life. So when I was 13 years old, I had a boy in my junior high ask me to be his girlfriend. And um, I I kindly said no. Um, I didn't really know him. I, I'd maybe had a conversation or two with him in my life. And um, I just said no, I, that I couldn't do that, that maybe he could give me a call sometime and we could get to know each other. And, um, he walked out of the school that day and walked home and he took his life. And as a 13 year old, I mean, even as at any age, but especially as a 13 year old navigating, um, what that means and the part that I played in that day of his life and, um, really honestly dealing with guilt of responsibility for years. Um, that was, that was very real and traumatizing. And I probably didn't have the tools to deal with it. From that point on, as crazy as it sounds, my I, I came from a place of, if I do or say this, I know what the worst case scenario is. The worst case scenario is I disappoint that person so much that they end their life. And that may not be like a rational thought to 99% of the population, but that was a reality for me. And so I really learned how to make decisions out of what I could handle. I know that I can handle this pain, this heartache, this grievance, this whatever, but I don't know what they can handle. So I will deal with the hardship, right? And so I became very apologetic for who I was and what I said and what I did because um, I was always worried. It was like a state of fear. Every decision I made was um, really out of fear of what could happen next. 
Yeah, I can imagine that. Of course, it would be, and I don't. I don't know any thirteen-year-old who would be who would have the tools to be able to navigate that. And and the and the reason that I they ask you to tell that is because I I think that so many people listening, so many of us have had some kind of traumatic event. I read an article that was really interesting mm-hmm. about in psychology they call they they categorize trauma very broadly and they call it big T trauma or little T trauma. And what happened to you when you were 13 would be categorized. I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist, but I would categorize that as a big T trauma, these these egregious events that take place. And then there's also people who might be listening and saying, well, I had it made compared to what happened to Nicole. And, but you could also have these little T traumas, these smaller things that happen, like maybe some girls were mean to you at school or your teacher told you you'll you'll never be a writer so you should probably just go in a different direction or these little things that just sort of eat at right. you but they also add up mm-hmm. and i say that because like no one no one makes it through adolescence and early adulthood totally scot free of really anything right. and so i mm-hmm. again this podcast is not about healing trauma and, and i'm not trained to do that. But I say all that because I think it's helpful many times to connect the dots as to why we are the way you are. And in your instance, you were saying, you know, that you were saying yes to everybody and worrying about disappointing people, feeling responsible for their feelings so that you can Mm -hmm. go to therapy and work it out, create tools. And for you, part of that was, I don't even want to say athletics because I don't even know, do you categorize it (laughs) as athletics? (laughs) I think that we process the things that happen to us in our life or the things that we go through in our life through movement. It has mm-hmm. been the one thing that has allowed me to um, move through some of the hard emotions, move through some of the the trauma, the little T and the big T trauma. And it has been a tool that I've kept in my back pocket to be a you know, we have a million tools that we use to get through life and to be okay on the other side of each and every day. And that's been one of my tools. And I've seen that tool used for so many women and men, right? Like it's yeah. not, it's not just exclusive to women, but oh, sure. um, being able to process emotion through body movement has been a huge gift to me. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward to this year in 2019 and you had done you had done a ultra along well a 100 mile race anytime i like told someone about what you were doing i was like 100 miles like all in a row on foot not in a car <laughs> not in a spaceship <laughs> right. yeah on foot and leading up to it like and you and I talk regularly and I didn't even know that you were doing it like you hadn't mentioned it you hadn't said oh I'm you know training for this thing or you know what I mean like I was sort of taken by surprise when you're like yeah my race is in and I think I only knew about a month out and I was like what <laughs> like, <laughs> like these are the things that your friends know about and you had mentioned that your heart wasn't really in it so why don't you take it from there So um, going back, so there is in the ultra world, there is a race called Western States 100, and it's the oldest, longest standing 100 mile trail race in the ultra world. It's kind of like um, 
I'm sure some ultra people will get mad at me for saying this, but it's kind of like the Boston of ultra running, right? Like it's this big deal. It's like a race that so many people want to go to. So to actually get a ticket into the lottery to possibly have a chance to do this race, um, they have a list of qualifying races. So you have to do a race to get a ticket into the lottery to do this Western States 100. And so the last that was that's basically my big goal is to be able to do this race. So the last two years, I've done a hundred mile race to get my ticket to um, the Western States Endurance Run. And this year, I've done the same race the last two years. It was Mountain Lakes One Hundred, and it it goes by like twenty. You run by like twenty five plus lakes. It goes through Mount Hood National Forest. Sixty miles miles of it is on the PCT. It's a beautiful, amazing course, and. Um, this year, I mean, I've been doing endurance races for gosh, a handful of years now, and I haven't really ever taken a break. And this year, I just came to this place where my heart just wasn't in the training, um, mm-hmm. which I think that's like you when you're doing something big like that, you kind of have to fall in love with the process. And I just wasn't super in love with the process. And I think that just happens. Like life was busy. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life and business and So I just really kind of did what I could. I did the best that I could. And I just told myself, okay, I'm just going to go into this. Like, this is going to be about my mind and not my body. I know that my body's capable more of of more than I really think it is. So I'm going to just have to go into this mentally strong and believe that I can do it or believe that I can show up and do the best that I can. And however the cards fall, the cards fall, right? I really, I had only done like two 20 mile plus runs And just so you know, like people are doing them like back to back 20 mile runs for like weeks up to, you know, months up to the race. So like my training was really, really insignificant in the training world for doing a hundred mile race. And so I feel like if you're going to win it, like that's for like a 10K, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. You know, well, so here I'm proof that you can sort of wing a hundred mile race. Yeah. And you can be successful. And like, really, I've always come back to this, like your ability to be successful, especially in like a hundred mile race is your ability to solve problems in the moment. And I think that's so true in life too, right? Like, how do we solve this problem in the moment? Because that gets us to the finish line. Um, and solving the pro- the problem at hand, right? I just wrote a, a blog that hasn't come out yet, but it's talking about not pr- trying to solve your n- mile 99 problem when you're at mile five. Like stay in the moment, stay right. present in your life and solve the problems that are, you know, right now. And I really had to pull on that philosophy and that <laughs> mantra during this race. It just is so bananas, I think, to think about because most people would have just not gone, Right. Right. And I, I, I'm not that person. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, yeah. I didn't go to one race. Um, this was a couple years ago. I had a 50 mile race and I didn't go because I didn't feel like I was like prepared enough. I didn't think it was a good idea. I had somebody tell me they didn't think it was a good idea. And I listened to that over like just showing up to see what I can do. And like that kind of haunted me for a really long time. And I just always told myself a person that finishes hundred mile races shows up. They show up whether they think they can do it or not. Right. And I just, I was like, that's who that person that finishes races are. And so like, if I want to do that and be that ultra runner, like I have to like embody that philosophy. And so I just decided that I would rather show up and see what I could do and, you know, risk the disappointment of not being able to finish Mm -hmm. and just do it and see what, see what I could, see what I could pull out. 
So that's what I did. What One of the most interesting things to me when you talk about these kind of races is how, I don't know if nonchalant is the right word, but just how casual you are about like losing toenails and like all the <laughs> things that happen to your body during these races, which yeah. are, I guess, normal to ultra marathoners, but to the, the lay person who can, you know, like I can run a 5k that I could wing, but <laughs> anything more than that, right. I'm, I'm out. But that, that's, what's fascinating to me. So yes, please tell us everything. So like on that note, before I get into my story, um, like, I think when you go into anything, anything in life, and for me, cause I'm talking about this, like going into a hundred mile race, like going into it, I'm like, committed to seeing through the grievances, right? Like, so the lost toenails, like whatever might happen to my body, like, I know that's going to happen. I know there's going to be a point where the pain's going to come. Right. And like Mm -hmm. committing to those grievances has done me so much good because it's just like, I know it's going to come and I'm just going to deal with it. Um, and kind of sort of like a, you're expecting it, right. You just have to tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I read one time, so I don't even, I wish I could tell you where I read this, but somebody was like, the the race actually starts when you start, when the pain hits you. Because up until that point, it's easy, right? The race starts when it starts to hurt and you have to start dealing with the problems. So I will say that this last hundred miler, the race started really early for me, <laughs> um, much earlier than I had anticipated. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, it was about mile 26 or so, I started having some GI issues. And um, what I mean by GI issues is that I really had about two steps off the trail before I would poop my pants. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) that continued to happen for about 40 miles. (laughs) You were able to actually like pull your pants down and make it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and there was times... um, where I made it about two steps off the trail and other people were running by. (laughs) And I was just like trying to like hide my eyes. I was trying to hide their eyes. Like, look away, look away. Don't look at me. Oh my God. (laughs) But yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. I had never in my life ever dealt with um, diarrhea during a race. I've dealt with nausea, like throwing up, like that kind of like discomfort, but I've never dealt with that at mile 30 in any race. And I definitely never um, have almost shit myself and continue to do it for miles upon miles. And it was it was such an experience for me because what I had to do, um, and I work a lot with my clients with emotion, but what I basically had to do was stuff every ounce of emotion. I even felt to the bottom, like to the core of who I was just so I could get out of like, I, it just had to all be physical and solving problems. I just kept thinking like hydrate, get food down if you can and keep taking another step. Looking back, I don't even know how I made it through. Um, I was running with my friend and we just, she kept encouraging me. I kept going. Well, wasn't there a point when she started throwing up? Yes. So about the time, we were at about mile 65, I think. So it was about the time I finally stopped having GI issues. She started throwing up and I thought, oh shit, here we go again, right? Like both of us had been sick. It had just been, it was a journey that challenged every ounce of us physically, mentally, and emotionally moving through that and just deciding to not give up. I kind of, I have this mantra, like I will never pull myself in a race unless I have a serious injury, right? You know, I'm not going to keep running with a broken leg, but if I have the opportunity to keep going, 
I'm going to keep going until somebody pulls me. I don't ever want to be the person to pull myself from the game. And that's really what I kept saying. As long as I can keep moving and making the time cutoffs, I can keep doing this. Um, I wasn't, I basically, I probably drank three gallons of (laughs) Coca-Cola during that race, but from about mile 30 on, the only thing that I could keep down or get down was Coca-Cola. I think I ate like, I don't know, three pieces of white Wonder Bread. And then I would drink about a fourth to a half of a cup of super runny instant mashed potatoes every like five to 10 miles. And that were, that was the only calories. That sounds like a, that sounds like a good old fashioned, like American diet. Right totally. Like- <laughs> I know it's like, you want to be really healthy, come do ultras. We eat pizza, we eat Arby's roast beef, candy, Coca-Cola for hours. I mean, like wonder bread. It's awesome. <laughs> But walking away from it, I remember coming down into, you dropped down into this aid station at roughly mile 80, I don't know, 86, 88. And I remembered thinking we have plenty of time to knock out this last, it was like 10 or 12 miles. And I walked Mm -hmm. down or we ran down into this aid station and it was that moment where all of the emotions that I'd been shoving down for hours upon hours upon hours, like came out Mm -hmm. And there was this volunteer there. Her name was Jameson. And she just let me like fall into her arms and I was crying. And I was like, I just can't believe I've made it here. Like I'm standing here and we're almost at the end. And I thought she had no idea who I was. And um, she looked me in the eyes and she goes, I'm going to change your life right now. And I mean, it was, we had ran through the night, so it was light now. And she like slowly took my headlamp off. (laughs) She's like, you don't need this anymore. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my gosh. But, um, it's amazing. Um, the volunteers at these kind of events, like people that you don't know that have given up time of their lives, like a weekend of their lives to come out and make sure and support you and make sure that you, you meet your goal and get to the finish line. Like I've never met strangers like this and it's a really Mm -hmm. phenomenal experience. Like I wish that we were like this in, in real life a little bit more. Um, to have people come alongside you that just want to see you succeed and they do everything they can to make sure that's possible. It's pretty powerful. So it's, it, so correct me if I'm wrong. It was 30 hours, right? Yeah. It it took us a little over 28 to, to do it, but yeah, you have 30 hours. Okay. And you don't sleep. You don't sleep. You just keep relentless forward motion. (laughs) You just keep moving. Okay. And sometimes it's your bowels that's moving instead of your feet. (laughs) 100%. Okay. (laughs) So how this – because I want to you to tell the listeners what you do for women and how this – like you don't make people do ultramarathons, but you have a lot of different offers for people where you – and I can – like I'm here to – attest and just, and, and really um, just champion the work that you do. Like I know as your friend and, and seeing how you motivate women and inspire women and, and hold them accountable and hold their hand and all of those things. So like, so say someone's listening mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, that's bananas. Like I'm, I don't want to do that, but I'm turning 50 this year or 40 or my kids just went off to college or I just got divorced or I'm thinking about getting divorced or I, you know, like right. all of these life changes. Cause I, I feel like that's re- or, and really anyone, but I, more so the people who are 
going through a big life transition mm-hmm. and who isn't really, or maybe they're looking at this next decade right. that's coming up and they're like, I want to do something big, but I'm scared. I don't know. I don't want to hire like a trainer because they're intimidating right. and et cetera, et cetera. And then I feel like that's where you come in. Yeah. So what I do is I really, um, for one, I meet women where they're at and I really take women who have a dream and it's typically a physical feat that they want to do kind of a bucket list physical feat that they want to do. And I use that as a vehicle for life coaching. So whether it's running, whether it's hiking, whether it's, I don't know, hike or climbing a mountain, whatever that is for them, I take them through that process and I come alongside them in, in races like ultras, they have what they call a pacer and a pacer, someone that can come in usually for the second half of the race. And they'll run through the middle of the night with you and onto the next day. And they're really there to make sure that, you know, in the dark and when you're like depleted that they, they, they become your guiding light, right? Like when you're tired and exhausted and mentally, overwhelmed and physically overwhelmed, this pacer comes in and they see you through the end, right? And that's really what I do is like I come alongside women. We we pick that thing that they want to do, whatever. It could be a dream race. It could be this dream experience, whatever that is, like walking the Camino, um, hiking a mountain, doing an ultra marathon, running a marathon. And it could be running a 5K, right? It doesn't really, the distance doesn't matter. The the size of the feet doesn't matter. It's a, it matters what it means to you. So I meet women. We do that together side by side. I run with you. I climb with you. I hike with you, whatever that looks like. And I really see you through the transition um, to becoming this person that you want to be. Yeah. And and like, please know everybody, like I don't, I'm not an affiliate of any of the programs. <laughs> I just, I know that there's people out there listening that want to do something, but either they don't have anyone to do mm-hmm. it with. Cause I know that that's a thing. Like, cause it's, it's, it can be kind of lonely when like no one else is excited right. about your 5k except you right. or your half marathon or whatever. And like you might, there might be training groups around you and things like that, but it's like hard to schedule and things like that. I just, I know that like you, I think the thing I love about you the most is like, you don't give up on people and, but you, but you aren't mean like a drill sergeant type of thing. Like you just, and I love that you said that, like I meet people where they are. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they've never, if they can't even run a full mile right now, they have to walk run it. It doesn't matter. Right. Like you show up for them no matter what athletic level they're at. You can sign up for Ironman if you don't know how to swim and still be successful. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I, it's still kind of blows my mind. But you can't, you can't use that as an excuse. Right. Like you, <laughs> and you can do a sprint triathlon, which I have done. That's the, the longest I've done. I've thought about doing a longer one, but I'm like, no, I think I think I'm good. I just I just enjoy shorter distances. I enjoy sprinting rather than long distance. Yeah. And uh, you also have a half marathon group. Is that I do. Correct? I do have a half every year. I run one or two half marathon groups. Um, I have one starting in February, um, and then I also have a program upcoming that's a little bit bigger, and it's called Base Camp. And we will be hiking. We'll be through hiking the enchantments. Um, we'll be going to Moab, Utah, and hiking around there and doing some pretty big, physically hard feats, but in a group community. So I'm create you you have other women coming alongside you as well as working with me one-on-one. So it's kind of a combination of that one-on-one work plus having like that, that, that aid station stranger atmosphere with this community of women that really are there to support you with all of your goals and everything that you want to become and accomplish. 
and um, yeah. and that'll be starting in January. So that will be that'll be a pretty fantastic for anybody that's you know turning fifty or turning sixty or turning thirty, whatever that is, or going through a divorce. Yeah, just whichever doesn't matter what age. It doesn't matter whatever that life transition. Your kids <sighs> are moving out. You've really just gotten sick of your own bullshit and you want to next level your life, right? Like I want to show up for myself. I want to learn how to do that. That's the kind of program that this is for, the kind of person this program's for, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah. Okay. Well, where can people find you? Like we'll put the links in the show notes, but it's NicoleKWhiting.com. Correct? correct. And then you can also find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Instagram, you get a little bit more of my unfiltered life, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. you can find me there too. And I have... Um, information about programs and whatnot there as well. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I encourage everybody to follow to follow Nicole on Instagram and, and just like read her stories about these races. And I think some people who do what you do or, or just even do races in general, it seems so like that person is way over there. You know, like that's for your type of right. person and I'm over here and my life looks different or my abilities look different. Right. And you talk about it in a way that, no, this is for, for everyone. Should you you even have a whisper that this might be something that you can do. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here and sharing so transparently with us. Oh, thank you, Andrea. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And everyone, uh, you know how grateful I am for your time and that you choose it to spend it with us because I know how valuable that is. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 